This is Dan McCarthy, and you're listening to Check In by TMR. So earlier this month, a bunch of similar news articles started trending on social media, all coming from this one report by the International Panel on Climate Change. The report put together a number of maps based on some of the most reliable climate change data out there. Maps that projected what parts of the world could possibly find themselves underwater due to rising sea levels as early as 2030 which is just about eight years from where we are today. Iconic cities like Amsterdam, New Orleans, Venice, Bangkok, and Savannah, cities that have been victims of flooding in the past, could all see a devastating impact, according to this report. If the data from the report holds true, we could be talking about those cities and others in the past tense at some point very soon, talking about what they used to be like, telling a younger generation how incredible things used to be there. The travel industry can exist online or in virtual reality. That's something that became so incredibly painfully obvious during the pandemic. Places very much need to exist. Real life places full of people, full of personalities, full of tangible things that people can touch and see and taste. Things that have made the industry so attractive and and traveling such a passion for so many people. I think that's what makes the situation the industry is in right now so incredibly concerning. Because at the same time the industry is finally turning back on post-COVID, the climate reality is coming back with it. The drop in carbon emissions from the COVID-19 pandemic, which was measurable, is essentially gone now. And the time to start scaling up climate action within the tourism world is now. Research and reporting from the UNWTO showed that there is a growing consensus among stakeholders within the travel industry that the industry as a whole needs to cut its carbon emissions by half by 2030. That the industry, which is forecasted right now to increase its carbon emission by 25% in that year, and pre-pandemic accounted for 8% of the world's total greenhouse gas emission, which is a higher percentage than the construction industry, needs to start scaling up now before it's too late. That responsibility is going to fall to essentially everyone that travel touches, from CEOs to travel advisors to tourism boards to consumers. It's undoubtedly the most profound risk that the travel industry faces, many times larger than a new COVID variant or an economic downturn. Some companies are already taking that risk extremely seriously, including the Travel Corporation and its brands. Guy Young, a 20-year veteran of of TTC and the current president for its Inside Vacations and Luxury Gold brands, is my guest for this episode. Young is part of a TTC team that is tops among companies recognizing the need for sustainable tourism. That company is pledged to be carbon neutral by 2030 or sooner and to source 50% of all electricity from renewable sources by 2025. It's pledges like that's that's been at the bedrock of TTC's operations for more than a decade. In this conversation, we, we touch on that pledge and and the dedication the TTC has to these this kind of initiatives. We also talk about Young's path into tourism from growing up in South Africa to working at a Days Inn in California to now heading up Insight and Luxury Gold. At the end of the conversation, he gives his advice to those who are younger in their career or just getting into the travel industry. And it's advice that I think everyone should hear regardless of where you stand in your career or where you are at in the world. It's a conversation that I really enjoyed and I hope you do too. Let's check in with Guy. Hey, Dan, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. How's, uh, are you in New York? I know you were, you were in New York, the New York area, 
uh, pre-pandemic. Are you still are you still around? I am still around. Yeah, I've uh, we've had a hell of a time because we uh, we bought a new home. It was hell of a hard. We've been trying for like a couple of years, but you know, with the pandemic, uh, the suburbs have become so popular. Yeah. And um, so we we end Dan, we end up signing a our papers on September first. As we we're signing on the dotted line, it started raining, and it never stopped. And that was when we had the the remnants of Hurricane Ida. Yeah. So my rental, the basement flooded. My new home, the basement flooded. Oh it's my just god! Been a disaster. Yeah. How, how have you fared? Yeah, I was. I'm in Brooklyn, so we had flooding. Like, uh, I mean, my my little neighborhood was okay, to be honest. But I mean, not too far from us, it was very. It was it was bad. Uh, I mean, I saw the f- videos and photos of just cars just being absolutely covered in water. I couldn't believe it. Really, it, 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 I don't know. I don't know if these things are going to keep happening more often. But uh, it was it was scary. I think it is going to happen more often. And of course, I don't have flood insurance, so I'm you know I'm kind of screwed. But uh, but I think I'm going to get flood insurance. So I do think it's going to happen more often. But it was crazy because in our rental, we were in our rental. We hadn't moved into a home. But in our rental, we were on a, like a brook. I mean, you couldn't believe there's a bridge probably, uh, the structure is probably four feet above ground level. You couldn't see the bridge. I mean, it was oh just covered in water. And we were lucky because our home was a little bit elevated. But other people on the street, I mean, it wasn't just the basement. It was the first floor. They're throwing out fridges and stoves. I mean, it was just terrible. Oh, my God. Really sad. But anyway, but beyond that, everything's good. No, we're good. The family's good. My kids are good. Uh, so all's well. And it sounds like you fared pretty nicely through the pandemic. I know you keep, you're keep keeping busy and doing lots of great interviews. So yeah. sounds like if things have gone okay for you, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, I knew there was a lot of, there was a lot of pessimism, I think, for everyone, uh, like those first few months. And then it was just, I it was just became like a waiting game almost. Like, when is the actual ability to travel going to return? Because demand was always there. Even like after a month or so, I'm sure consumers were re- really ready to travel. Um, but it was just the reality of it. When, when could you actually travel? So, um, so it, it seems like the momentum for the whole industry is sort of continuing now. And then I know when this is November 5th right now, so in a few days, the international borders in the U S will open and hopefully that'll be another sort of boost of optimism. Um, so it, things, things are feeling pretty good. I think the momentum sort of carrying through and hopefully the holiday season is good for everybody. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, yeah, we, we you know, it's, uh, the, the best way to describe it has been a total, total roller coaster. You know, we, we were, uh, we were seeing some really good booking momentum in June. In fact, we were really close to our 2018 2019 sort of pre-pandemic levels and then with the delta brand things just crashed again and now we've started to see a rebirth in bookings uh, sort of mid-september and then certainly in, you know october was a decent month for us but yeah. we still you know we're still not quite at our pre-pandemic levels now but i think we'll get there you know i think people just need to feel confident they can travel that they you know the restrictions aren't going to be too arduous uh, and i think we'll see a real resurgence in bookings we're hoping in the full, full, first quarter of next year yeah, I wanted to mention I haven't. I don't think I've spoken to you since you took on the new position. Oh right. Um, yeah. So yeah. So con- I want to say congratulations on that too. I know Thank you've been with you've been with the TTC with TTC for a long, long time, and I I know you were at Uniworld for a little while. What was your feeling taking on this new position? What are what what was the sort of uh, the sort of decision going into that? Yeah. No. Great. Thanks. Um, yeah. No, it's um, it's been exciting. So uh, basically, you know, Insight and Luxury Gold, we feel have huge potential in the marketplace. And so when I was approached by, well, mainly by Brett uh, to take on the role uh, for inside the US as and Luxury Gold, I was, I was actually quite excited because I think there's huge potential. Um, you know, Insight sits in its own category as the only premium uh, guarded sort of tour operator. And so I don't think we've, we've really communicated that enough. And I think there's a lot of potential in that kind of 
premium sector of the gasification market. And then on luxury gold, it's super exciting because we've we've uh, done a total, uh, not only rebrand, but we've changed the product dramatically, including capping the, the passenger count of 24 passengers, whereas previously it was 40. So we'll operate probably with around 20, but never more than 24. Okay. So I just think we've made a lot of great sub substantive changes on luxury gold. And I think there's huge opportunity at the upper end of the market. Um, and certainly uh, for inside and luxury gold, I, I guess it's true for all of the TTC brands, but uh, certainly for some reason, Insight um, gets a disproportionate amount of uh, support historically from the Australian market, more so than some of the other Ghana brands. Uh, they've just got really good brand presence there. And given that the US, well, up until very recently was the only market that was really seeing any sort of sales momentum, uh, there was a lot of focus and, and um, expectations from the US market, which is great. So I think there's a lot of challenges and opportunities. So I'm very excited to be part of the, uh, yeah. the Inside and Luxury Gold team. And it's, there's a great team. It's two great brands. So it's all very exciting. Yeah, you mentioned capping the passenger numbers. And was that a result of the pandemic? Or is that a result of you of the team just wanting to change things with the brand and, and create a little more intimate experience? Yeah, so that discussion was well underway before uh, yeah. before the pandemic because uh, you know the feedback we'd heard from the market is that you know as we're positioning you know luxury gold the very top end of the gasification market uh, certainly there were some agents that were making the case it's too big a group size to really be considered luxury. Uh, we did have some smaller group sizes on more of the kind of exotic destinations. And so it was certainly um, something that was underway pre-pandemic, but obviously the timing turned out to be very fortuitous because everyone is looking to looking to have smaller group size. And we did, you know, now even on Insight, we have small group uh, departures. Um, we have private departures where it can be as, as low as 12 people. So certainly there was a move to more, towards smaller groups. But again, that, that discussion was well underway pre-pandemic for Luxury Gold, certainly. Yeah, I mean, uh, it does seem like that every, every segment, not just tours, um, is just trying to create this more intimate experience, regardless of, I know it was a thing with the pandemic, people, the thought was, let's get smaller group sizes, because that that, that seems to be a little more uh, safe health wise, but I think it's just people want that more intimate experiences, even the large cruise ships, I know they're trying to create smaller intimate experiences within that bigger experience too. Yeah. That seems to be a big uh, uh, way the industry is trending in general is, is creating this more uh, this more intimate, smaller group type experience. No, totally. And, and, you know, just because you mentioned, I always find it quite um, amusing that sometimes people or agents uh, have an aversion to a, a tour group of 40 people. Yeah. And yet they sell cruises all day long where, <laughs> yeah. you know, even on the luxury side, it's 200 plus people, but it's up to 5,000 on the contemporary brand. So, you know, I would argue that from the outset, it is still a small group. Uh, but we understand the, the perception and, um, you know, certainly I will say that, you know, even our traditional group size on Insight, so we have with Insight, we have uh, group size up to 40, then we have the small groups 24, and then we have what we've created during the, the pandemic, we, we're offering small private groups where you could take a brochure group and do it with as few as 12 people. There's obviously an additional cost for that, but you can do it as small as 12 people. But our traditional group size are still selling very well. And I think one of the reasons why that is, is uh, one thing we've done, uh, this is for the TTC open age guided brands, okay. is we've added on our groups a well-being director in addition to a travel director. And I think that's given our guests a huge amount of peace of mind. 
And uh, having operated a number of the groups recently, uh, having that person on the coach just um, you know, takes a lot of the tension or the apprehensive uh, out of the trip, but also during the booking cycle, I think people feel a lot more confident. Okay, there's a travel director and there's also a wellbeing director. I think that's really helped our sales, certainly for the TDC open age uh, data brands. I know we're very so much in this pandemic and I know like the, I, I mean, do you, do you or your team have expectations of when sort of the, the COVID worries are going to be, are going to start sliding away? Or do you think it's going to be a slow thing uh, as we continue to sort of move into this year and into 2022 too? Yeah, that's a, a great and a, I think a very hard question to yeah. answer. I mean, we, you know, we, well, when it first happened, we thought it was going to be a couple of months and now it's dragged on for, you know, close to two years. And certainly in June, we thought the worst was over and then we had the Delta variant. So I'm very, um, you know, very cautious in, in terms yeah. of giving a, a firm guideline. But, you know, certainly uh, with the advancements of vaccinations, even just the, the number of infections in the communities, I mean, I think there is the expectation that, you know, come the new year, we're going to start seeing a real uptick in business. And I think, you know, people are just going to have to learn to live with it. I think what's very important is that, you know, people do get vaccinated. It's not a political view. It's very much a practical view because it is becoming very difficult to travel if you're not vaccinated. It's so much easier to travel if you're vaccinated. In fact, I think you know, but we did, uh, we are now requiring people to be vaccinated for all departures through 2022. And again, it was just, a simple reality on the ground is that if you're not vaccinated, you have to get tested to go into sites and museums, and it's just not practical to do that. It's very expensive. So, uh, you know, I think as long as you're vaccinated, we do believe that um, that travel is going to start coming back. And so I, you know, we have high expectations for 2022. Certainly our, our Ford sales are very strong, uh, and we are now seeing, you know, increased booking momentum. So I expect uh, 2022 to be a a strong recovery year. So hopefully 2022 is the year that we turn it around. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm sure you see the consumer headlines all the time about these vaccination requirements outside of travel. And there's, there's so much controversy and pushback and all these. But I don't know, for my feeling is within the industry, it, it, it seems less so. It seems more of an acceptance in travel in general. Maybe that's because how bad things were for the industry in the beginning of the pandemic. Or maybe it's because the people who are in travel kind of understand what you mentioned, the, the practicality of, of, of being vaccinated versus being tested every seemingly every other day if you're trying to travel through Europe. No, no, absolutely. And I, you know, I think the, the thing is, when you look at traveling in isolation, I mean, when we came out with our vaccination policy, obviously we were concerned that maybe some clients weren't vaccinated, we're gonna lose a lot of bookings. But what we found is that, the, and we knew this because um, even for the trips we were operating, uh, the guests needed to declare whether or not they were vaccinated. And actually the vast, vast majority of guests that are traveling with us are already vaccinated. So we were really talking to the vast majority of people, number one, but number two, the other interesting thing, and this wasn't the reason why we, we went to required vaccinations, it wasn't from a, a sales and marketing standpoint we're doing, it was more from a, a health and safety and operational standpoint that we're requiring vaccinations. But what was very interesting is that it actually did help on the sales side too, because so many people that are traveling now are people that are vaccinated. And when they're traveling, they want to know that their fellow, fellow travelers are also vaccinated. So it actually did give more confidence to make a booking, to travel. So all around, it's been a very, very good decision. And certainly, you know, I think that's, I think the cruise lines make this argument. We would certainly make this argument. When you're traveling on a tour, you know, A, 
all the people you're traveling with are vaccinated. So you've got that very good, um, you know, you're kind of like in your, in your own bubble. Yeah. Uh, and then again, as I mentioned earlier with the wellbeing director, I think there's a lot of, a lot more confidence and peace of mind traveling with our brands today than there were before we implemented the policy. Yeah. So you took the, you took a position, was it April? Did I have that right? It was, it was April? April, correct. And before yeah. then you were, you, you worked as sort of the, your title was engagement officer at TTC, right? Correct. Yeah. You, I think you've, you've spent almost your whole career working for, uh, working for those, uh, that company. Correct. Yeah. I pretty much spent my entire career with the travel corporation. So just to give you a kind of a, a brief background on my sort of, yeah. uh, my, my career trajectory. So I really joined, I, I started, uh, in the travel business. My first job was working, uh, the front desk at a days in hotel in Southern California. Oh, wow. Yeah. There was some, some, uh, some years ago. Wait, so how did you end up in Southern California? I, I know you, I can obviously tell from your accent, you're, uh, you're South African. Yes, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm South African. Yeah, so my, uh, okay, so let me go back even further then. So I was born in South Africa. I lived in South Africa till the age of 12. Okay. Um, and then I moved to, from there I moved to France. So what happened is my, my parents were divorced. My mother met a, a Frenchman, they fell in love and, and we moved to France. Uh, so I lived in France for five years. I went from having a pretty insulated life in South Africa, I moved to France. I went to a French boarding school, uh, which was quite challenging because, um, you know, I didn't speak a word of French and I was thrown into this French boarding school. So I found the first six months to be a, a huge challenge. Uh, but I, I mean, I end up, I end up loving it and it was a great experience for me. And I, you know, I think for me, the biggest takeaway and the best experience I had with my, with my education in France was that the school was so uh, diverse and multicultural. So it was, um, I would say, close to half of the student body was, was, were, were foreigners. Um, we had a lot of people from, uh, that came to the, the boarding school from Lebanon because there was a civil war in Lebanon. So a lot of Lebanese okay. came. Uh, we had a lot of Iranians. We had people from, my best friend was from Mexico. A lot of, a lot of students came from the Ivory Coast, you know, which was a former French speaking colony. So that was just, for me, was fantastic because I had come from a very insulated, you know, my, my school in South Africa, it was, it was an all-white school, you know, it was still under the apartheid regime. So it was just a really incredible cultural change for me, and one that was sort of very enriching and something I think that has really helped me during my career, because obviously now there's such a diverse workforce, and I think it's easy for me to relate to people from all different cultures and, and backgrounds. So that was, a, that was really, really fantastic. So uh, I finished up my education, my high school education in France, and I moved to the U.S., and uh, I went to an American university. And then after I graduated, I didn't have a green card and I was kind of looking around. And so I sort of fell upon the, 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 the hotel industry. And I moved to Southern California because I joined a hotel management company at the time that was expanding very quickly. And they were looking for uh, you know, young people to join the group. And the idea was for me to go through a, a management training program. But it didn't quite work out that way. I just kind of got stuck at the front desk. And okay. uh, from there, I progressed my career. I became a front desk manager, a night manager, assistant general manager, general manager. And then I finally ended up as a, as a VP of operations uh, for a group of 12 hotels in the Orlando area. Okay. And that's kind of where my sort of strictly hotel career came to an end because I then joined the Travel Corporation. And my first job was working as uh, I was the president of the Travel Corporation division in Canada. I was there for six years. Then I moved to Uniworld for 10 years. Then I went to my chief engagement officer position. 
uh, in New York when we opened up the office in New York. And I did that for, I think it was about four years. And then just more recently, I've joined uh, uh, Inside and Luxury Gold. So that's my my life and career in, uh, in what, five or 10 minutes. Yeah, well, you've seemed to lived almost both coasts in the US, Toronto, in Canada, South Africa, France. It seems like it seems like you've definitely got a taste of the world just, just by moving around and, and, and spending time in different places during your career. I have, and it's been a it's been a, an amazingly rewarding experience. I've really, uh, I really enjoyed. It. I, I feel very lucky and privileged to have had all those opportunities to, uh, you know, live in different places, meet different people, have different work experiences. I mean, that's the one great thing I have to say about um, my career at the Travel Corporation. Even though I've been with essentially one company my whole career, yeah. I have had the the privilege and opportunity to work in different divisions, different countries, different. Uh, cities, different states. So it's been uh, it's been a really rewarding career. Are there any places? Any? I mean, I know you just mentioned you bought you bought you're in the New York area and you you bought property. So I imagine that's the plan to stay there. But I mean, you have to have some favorite places you've uh, you've lived or been throughout your career. And I know because it seems like such a diverse selection of places. You know, I've lived in some like wonderful metropolitan areas. Um, I've also lived in my. You know, during my hotel career, my first general manager position was a hotel in Bakersfield, California. So I've kind of really run the spectrum. I've lived yeah. through the Vista uh, down in Southern California. But one thing I always say is that in terms of a lifestyle of a great place to live, I always, I, I spend quite a bit of time in Southern California. And that's just an amazing place. So just because of the weather alone. I mean, the weather's just yeah. really amazing. And there's, it's such a beautiful state. But, um, you know, I think it's... Um, you know, everything is what you make of it. I mean, we we now live, I mean, I love living in France. I mean, South Africa is a beautiful place to live. I mean, it has its challenges for sure, but it's an incredible country. Also, you know, stunningly beautiful, but it's it's what you make of it. I mean, we're now in the New York area. We love it. My kids, uh, you know, got, got a great public schools here. Um, so I think it's a little bit what, what you make of it. You know, I've, I, I seem to adapt quite easily to different places that I live in. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't love some of the place I lived in, but, uh, you know, I made the best of it. You know, certainly our last three places we've lived are great metropolitan areas. It was Los Angeles, then to Toronto, and now to the New York area. And all those are just fantastic places to live. Just so much to do, so much for the kids to, to do great cultural experiences. So, yes, I've had a lot of great places that I've lived in. Um, and all of them have their, their pluses and minuses. But, uh, you know, I think just for the the weather alone, I think Southern California yeah. stands out in, in my mind, especially as you, you can appreciate we're now entering our winter phase on the oh. East Coast. And it's a little bit cool at the moment. So, yeah, it's funny because I mean, I've been in New York most of my life. I've spent like I was in London for a little bit and in, uh, I went to university in Boston. Yeah, I mean, every fall, I always think about how lucky I am to live in New York because the city is great wow. in the fall. But then like this week, particularly, it's felt like you've almost starting to prepare for battle for the winter because you can tell it's coming and the cold weather and the snow is all it just sort of changes your attitude pretty quickly. No, totally. But I will say that, you know, I moved to Toronto from Florida. So that was, a, you know, a major weather change. But, uh, you know, again, I, I mean, I love Toronto. It's such yeah. a metropolitan city. I mean, it's got great cultural experiences, great restaurants. So, uh, you know, I, I, um, I put the weather aside and, you know, you kind of adjust to it. You buy a big warm coat and, you know, you kind of get on with things. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been lucky. I have lived in some great places, I have to say. I mean, so for so since you've spent so long in the industry, I'm curious. I mean, how how have you seen the industry change over your career? Um, I know that's a big question, but 
I mean, in general, have have consumers sort of trended in a certain way? Because I know people talk about, especially the pandemic, people used to speak about how things are going to fundamentally change. And I don't know if necessarily things can fundamentally change in 18 months or so, but they certainly can in 20 plus years in the industry. Yeah, no, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of changes. You know, when I look, um, you know, particularly at my career at the Travel Corporation, I mean, a few trends certainly stick out in my mind that I've observed over the years, you know, one is certainly the um, the growth of cruising, yeah. And you know, within that, I I, I would talk more specifically about river cruising. And um, when I joined Uniworld, it was in uh, two thousand and six. You know, I I knew that it was going to be something special because when I was in Toronto, we were actually selling you know Uniworld cruises because the, the Travel Corporation bought Uniworld in two thousand and four. So for two years in Toronto, and I, I could hear in the call center, like all these additional requests coming about yeah. around river cruising and just this interest in river cruising. So for my 10 years between 2006 and 2016, I mean, the explosion was just phenomenal. So cruising in general, river cruising, I mean, just the growth of that segment has been uh, really, really amazing. Yeah, I even, I, I even, because I got in the industry probably 2015, um, and I guess my introduction to river cruising was seeing uh, commercials for Viking on on television. Like they seem to have taken the baton for that industry for marketing wise. And uh, I remember th like just seeing those images and being like, "How what an interesting way." And I've had this conversation with Ellen at Uniworld, and I think Kristen Cars, her and I spoke about this too. But it is, it is, it sort of takes you back when you realize you could see the world that way. Yeah, no, definitely. And and you mentioned Viking, and you know Viking was really instrumental in in creating a lot of consumer awareness of, around river cruising. But, you know, I, what I found when I was at Uniworld, I mean, it was such a great experience, but the product, the Uniworld product was so amazing that we had, uh, you know, whereas I think, um, you know, Viking was introducing a lot of new, uh, new to cruise, but we, I mean, we had a lot of repeat cruises. So yeah, I mean, the, the company did grow substantially as, as did Viking. And it was a, you know, it was, it was really a, a, a great fun time to be in river cruising because it just grew so, yeah. so amazingly well. It was just amazing. And then, you know, the, the other thing, you, you know, as, as you say, um, I think you're, the, the crux of your question was whether, uh, you know, consumer tastes have changed and kind of how that's evolved. I mean, the one thing that I will say we've done with all the TTC brands, but I think it's particularly noticeable on, on the guided, uh, the touring side, has really been this whole... Um, idea around being more immersive experiences yeah. and you know I really do uh, give a strong shout out to to Trafalgar which I think uh, you know under the leadership of Gavin Tolman I think you know he identified you know some years ago uh, the need to have these more immersive experiences and they launched this what they called this be my guest program where you actually went into locals homes or you went to visit a local's vineyard and had a meal with the owner understood kind of what the history is and what life was in that particular destination. And, you know, I think that concept has really evolved. I mean, certainly Insight uh, has also started off, well, has uh, does offer a lot of different immer immersive experiences. So I think that whole thing about really getting into the understanding uh, truly the, the, the destination and kind of experience it from a, a local perspective, I think has really grown within the gardification sector. And I think it's something that's very, uh, important to travelers today, you know, versus, yes, we still do all the main sites and highlights, but having a meal with somebody in their home and having them under, you know, sort of recount what life is in that city or village, uh, I think is a very powerful experience for our guests. So that's certainly something we've seen on the guided vacation side. 
Yeah, it seems like the world, I mean, just going off of that, it seems like the world has definitely gotten smaller and people are running out of places, I mean, to visit. Like, like you mentioned France, and I imagine on your third or fourth trip to Paris, you know, seeing the, going to the top of the Eiffel Tower or going, or going to the Louvre, it gets old and you want, you want to experience something a little bit, what you mentioned, experimental, uh, exper experiential and a little more immersive. And you want, you want to get a feel for what is life like for the people around you. Exactly, exactly. So we, we've so we've got a lot of those experience, but I will say for us, you know, the next trend, which which I think is coming or it's yeah. here, is really about um, sustainability and having a positive impact on the communities. And I, I think we are starting to see that a lot more. Um, you know, the, the, the travel corporations, certainly we've been very active and I think uh, progressive and at the forefront of the whole uh, issue of sustainability and, and leaving a positive footprint in the places we visit uh, through the Tread Route Foundation, but something that we've launched uh, just more recently are our Make Travel Matter experiences. Uh, and this is where we, um, we design experiences that have a, a very positive impact on the communities that we visit. And we actually tie these experiences uh, to one of the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. So it really, you know, it's, it's, it's not just talk, it's a very substantive program. Uh, and we see that as being uh, something that I think our guests are very interested in. Uh, you know, certainly the data we're seeing is that sustainability is becoming more and more important to travelers. And I think even more so to younger travelers. So we see this as a, a very uh, important sort of consumer trend. But more importantly, you know, we believe that it's very important for travel companies to take that approach. If we want to uh, continue to be well welcomed in the cities we visit, I think it's very important that we also show that we're willing to make a commitment to the local communities and the people that actually live in those, those cities and destinations we visit. So I think that's sort of uh, a, a very important, I don't want to say it's an emerging trend because it's been around for several years. I mean, you know, the, the, the discussion around over tourism has been around for a while. Uh, but certainly, you know, operators such as ourselves taking that sort of approach is very important. I will say one thing I'm very proud about is that both Insight and Luxury Gold and every single itinerary in 2022, we have at least one make travel matter experience on every single departure. So, um, you know, we take it very seriously. And, uh, you know, I think it's something that uh, our guests appreciate as well. So I think it's a win-win. It's a win-win for our, our guests. It's a win-win for us because I think we're we're doing the right thing. And certainly for the local communities, I think it's very important. Yeah, I had a sort of a, a reckoning moment with that. I you might have you might have been there, but I attended a a tourism cares event at the Harlem Theater in, in uh at the Apollo Theater in Harlem in New York City. And it was just highlighting how how much good travel can do um in terms of sustainability and, and improving the lives of local people. And it's funny, the over tourism debate was there pre-COVID almost everywhere. And now it seems to have disappeared and I'm sure it'll be coming back soon. But I, I mean But sorry, the one thing I did want to I do want to highlight is that yeah. you know as much as um as uh, there was all that discussion around over tourism, you know, I think what's happened during the pandemic is a lot of these cities now obviously it, it crystallized how important tourism is to the local economy. I think that's been one of the great benefits is that, you know, these communities have woken up and said, yeah, I mean, we need to manage the tourism responsibly, but at the end of the day, it is super important to the local community. And we, I think everyone's eager, well, not, I don't think I know 
that cities and destinations are very eager to start welcoming tourists back. You know, so I think that was a, that, that was really um, beneficial for I guess governments to really understand the importance of tourism uh, to the local economy. And so I think going forward, uh, we just need to work with uh, local governments to make sure that we're operating responsibly, responsibly, and we obviously. Uh, on not uh, having a negative impact on the local population. What would be the argument against, I mean, I know the, the TTC's dedication with, with Triart is above and beyond probably most other travel companies, but why would a travel company opt not to sort of dedicate resources to, to preserving or sustainability or environmental things like that? Because I mean, we're, I, it just seems like this industry in particular is going to be have, have to be stewards of that movement um, going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's 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 a good question. I mean, you know, possibly it's a it's a financial issue because you know we we do put significant resources towards uh, our Tread Right Foundation, so we don't accept any outside uh, um, donations. So this is all self funded. So okay. every one of the travel corporation companies uh, have to. Uh, contribute to the Tread Right Foundation, and that helps fund a number of projects that we've invested in. Uh, so there's um, there's over 50 projects that we've uh, we've invested in worldwide, and so that 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 does take resources. Uh, you know, even doing something as um, you know with our Make Travel Matter experiences, I mean, that requires us going out and finding these um, these local communities or uh, or homes that we can take our guests to. I mean. It, it requires a lot of product development resources to do these things. So, in some cases, it might be a resource issue. But um, do you look at that as a, do you look at getting a return on that, or is it or is it or is it uh, resources that you dedicate just just because of the passion uh, that you and the team at TTC feel for this kind of thing? Uh, it's it's first and foremost a passion, and okay. you know I I really put that down to Brett Tolman, our CEO. He has a huge amount of commitment uh, and passion to making sure that we. As, as we like to say, we tread right. So, uh, you know, the, the Tread Right Foundation was, was founded, I think it's been 12 years now, and it was absolutely on the basis of Brett wanting to make sure uh, that we preserve the places that we visit and that we give back to local communities. You know, are we seeing, is it helping us like commercially? It's, it's really hard to say. I mean, we do, we do hear that people are interested in sustainable travel. They on the surface say that it's important that companies uh, do have a sustainable strategy. You know, I'm sure it is helping, you know, convert a few guests to, to the travel corporation. I'm sure that's happening, but that's not the reason why we do that. It really is to, to have a positive contribution on, on the local communities. And I mean, we really hope and encourage uh, all of our, everyone in the travel industry to take a similar approach, because I think it is really important. I think the day that Venice wakes up and says, we don't want to welcome tourists anymore. It's going to be a sad day for all of us. So I think it does take a, a, a combined effort. And I think more companies are starting to pay more attention to sustainability. And I think it, hopefully it continues in that direction because I think ultimately it's, it's important for all of us. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, uh, there's a number of companies, including TTC, that are just doing inc incredible things. And I, I, I feel like if the whole industry sort of joined it would it would make a big big difference and uh hopefully i mean hopefully again i hopefully when covid sort of in the rearview mirror maybe that becomes what's at the forefront no, absolutely absolutely I, I really hope so and i think uh, i really do hope more companies uh sign on and make a, a bigger commitment and and i have to say i'm i'm really so so proud i mean 
you know, another benefit um, of, of our sustainability efforts, you know, hopefully there's a benefit that the consumers see uh, at the executive level, it's very important, but, you know, our own employees, and again, you know, we have a lot of younger employees, and as I said before, I think sustainability for younger people is plays an even more important role uh, than maybe some of us on the on the older age age spectrum and so you know our employees I think one of the reasons why they're very proud to work with the travel corporation is because of everything we do for local communities and it's not just in places we travel we also do things here in the U.S. Uh, so I think that's um, one of the reasons why a lot of our employees choose to work here and, and, and stay at the travel corporation yeah so speaking of the U.S., I read a post you uh, you put on LinkedIn, I guess, maybe more than a year ago, but about where you were anxious to travel to. Um, now, I guess the absence of travel, everyone was sort of figuring out what's next and where they want to return to. And you mentioned Ireland, the USA and South Africa. And I want I'm curious if you got to any I mean, I'm sure you live in the U.S., but have you gotten to Ireland or South Africa or any of those destinations in the U.S. yet? I have. Well, I have not traveled internationally. Well, the interesting thing is, um, Dan, quick story is that when I was, um, I was in Italy with the family at the end of, towards the end of February. Oh, wow. Of 2020. We, we were traveling around. I mean, there was, there was no sign of COVID. I mean, we were in Rome, by the way. And, were yeah, there any, were there any, did you hear any rumblings from the Italians or the locals, anything? No, not really. No. I mean, this was like, it was mid to, I think we, we end up re- coming back like around February 22nd or something. But no, I mean, nothing. The restaurants are open, people walking around, no masks. I mean, I was watching, uh, you know, I was watching, I, ha- I have an app on my iPad. I was watching, you know, US news. There's no talk about, you know, this, uh, this huge, um, uh, the huge number of cases that were going to be reported. I mean, it was in Northern Italy, so it wasn't Rome. But, but anyway, so I was going about my business. We flew back, I remember it was a Sunday. I landed Sunday, got home, turned on the TV, and there was all this talk about, <laughs> oh uh, you know, Northern Italy and the pandemic and all the COVID cases. Self, I, I decided to self-isolate, and I've been kind of working from home ever since. So no, I have not yet traveled internationally, uh, but I have done a few trips domestically, uh, more for work. I've been to a couple of conferences, uh, I went out to California to, uh, to our office in California, but I have not done a lot of travel. Uh, the next trip we're planning on doing uh, is going to be to Canada in December to see my in-laws. Uh, but otherwise, that will be my first international trip. But I do, I do plan on, I think what they call this revenge travel. Yeah. So I do have big plans for, uh, for 2022 and certainly uh, South African Ireland are definitely on my list for 2022 still. So I hope to make it there in 2022. Yeah, that term revenge travels. I don't know how uh, great that is for. It seems like a weird. It seems like a, a darker term than it actually yeah, yeah. is. Yeah, but I mean, I'm definitely. I, I spoke to Sherwin from African Travel, which is another TTC brand, and, and he 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 sort of talked me into putting South Africa on my bucket list oh. just just because of how how diverse it is and how and how many different experiences you can have in in just one country. I will tell you, you know. Um, Obviously, I speak to a lot of um, uh, a lot of advisors, agency owners, and when I talk to like top producing advisors or agency owners, and I, you know, ask them, you know, what's the the best trip you've ever taken? I, I will say that most times, if they travel to Africa, they'll say Africa. It's just such a a once in a lifetime trip. I mean, you go back many times, but it's just such an amazing experience going on safari. Uh, you know, Cape Town, if you go to South Africa, is just a, a beautiful, beautiful 
city. So yes, I would totally agree with Sherwin uh, that it is something you should definitely put on your bucket list and hopefully get there sooner rather than later. I uh, I'm completely I completely agree. Um, so I, I guess I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to ask you a, a couple last questions just while, while we have each other. I know, so you've been in the industry for long and I, I've asked a lot of executives who have sort of your, a similar length in the industry as you, uh, if you had any advice for your younger self or if any, any lessons you've learned that you wish you knew when you were sort of starting out in travel, um, what, what, what are they? I and mean, what sort of, how would they, you think have, uh, benefited you when you were younger? So it's interesting because I, I actually was, um, I did a presentation to a, a, a local university to their travel, well, I, as a speaker at, um, for their, uh, their, their travel class. And, you know, two, two things stick out in my mind. One is uh, the importance of networking. I can't state that enough. Um, and I, if I look back on my career, uh, I, I wish I would have done a bit more networking because you just never know when that's going to be needed, you know. And I and I look at uh, you know people that are applying for jobs. I mean, just this past week, I had a uh, an advisor that I work quite closely with that's looking to make career change, wants to get onto the supply side of the business. Reached out to me, and we had a good relationship. He was very supportive of the brands that I, I've run during my career, and asked if I'd act as a reference. I don't know if my reference is going to make a difference, but you know, I just think you know having. Uh, having uh, a network of people you can rely on when you when you need to look for a job or when you need advice, I think it's just super important. And it's and you need to stay in touch with these people because you don't want to just be reaching out when you when you have a favor, you need something. So you know whether young people start on making connection on LinkedIn or you know trying to go to conferences and just networking with managers and executives, I think is is super, super important. You know, the other thing I love to say about travel, which I, or the hospitality industry, which I find so amazing, which, which I appreciate so much, is that there's, you know, for somebody who's willing to work hard and apply themselves, there is great opportunities. You know, I think when you, when you look, for example, particularly in the hospitality industry, I mean, how many general managers or, you know, VPs have come through the hotel business, starting out as a, a concierge or a bellman, I just love those stories. I mean, I myself started the front desk, you know, so I just think um, for somebody who's willing to work hard and apply themselves, I think there's great opportunity uh, in the travel industry. Um, and so I would certainly, you know, encourage people that aren't quite sure where they, they need to be or want to be, uh, that the travel industry is a great place to start. And I'd also suggest that, you know, on the, um, on the advisor side, mm -hmm. I think now's a great time to be looking at the travel industry because, I do think clients are going to be really be looking for uh, more and more advice and reassurances as we kind of navigate our, our way through the pandemic. So I do think that uh, there's a great opportunity right now for advisors uh, to really become very successful. And then one last uh, word of advice, which I don't know if it's particularly around career advice, but the one thing that I, I say is so important is uh, at a very young age to start saving and planning for your future in the long term. I, I think when you're young, you don't really think about those things. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing more powerful than investing early because obviously with compounded interest, etc., uh, if you've got a long horizon for your money to grow, it's very important. So you can feel a lot more comfortable as you get close to retirement or uh, at an older age. So 
those are some of the advice I'd have for young people in, in entering the industry. Yeah, you've actually you actually told me those uh, the 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 last part of your advice. You told me that a few years ago. I still remember it. Um, I, I took it to my heart. Advice, yeah, Did I you took your advice. Mind? Yeah, I I, I uh, I'm definitely following it to the day too. So uh, so you've made an impact on me at least. Oh, good. Well, I'm yeah. glad. No, because I remember you know when as, as I said before, my first job. You know, I, I started. I think I was earning four twenty five an hour, and you know, obviously when you're in that type of money, it's like almost impossible to say. But even if you just make like five or 10 cents just to get into that habit of putting money away every every paycheck it's just such an important and i'm i'm doing my best to sort of instill that in, in my children i think it's it's just really important uh just to have you know peace of mind when you know in in the long term and when you get closer to retirement so good i'm glad you took my advice yeah. um, that's good okay good all right. Well, I again, thanks for your time, guys. It's always it always is, is a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and hopefully, I'm sure I'll bump into you very soon in the future. Uh, all these conferences coming up, uh, relatively relatively soon. I look forward to it. It's really good to see you on camera. I hope to see you in person soon, Dan. And uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you very much for your time too. All right. I'll, I'll uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. And otherwise, enjoy enjoy Toronto when you when you finally get to travel internationally. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks all so right. much. Right. Take care. Right? Cheers.